abstinence saved my family. Abstinence saved my life. Abstinence. I went on my kids without abstinence. Like I'm not saying like, I'm not anti, uh, I'm not anti DRTs or, or harm reduction, but there needs to be more focus on abstinence. This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast, featuring celebrities, experts, and everyday people who have overcome adversities, including addiction, mental health, and trauma, to live purposeful lives. And that's what Knocking Doors Down is all about. Alexis Rue, welcome to Knocking Doors Down. What's up? Thanks uh, for having me. Yeah. Hey, kick-ass Bon Jovi shirt, by the way. Original, <laughs> not vintage. That's badass. Yeah, I've seen them like I'm not even kidding, like six times. I'm I'm a big fan. Yeah, I, I don't know that I've seen Bon Jovi, but I've had uh, so like Motley Crue has to be like 17, 18 times. And I saw Prince in the 20s. So it's like I feel you. I'm like one of those was one of those concert junkies. Yeah, yeah. Me too. But it was uh, but we were also shithoused at one time. Right? I mean, so, do we did we remember it? It's like did I, I don't even know if I remembered the whole concert. I have to go back and relive it again. Like it's like it's like the first time every time. Right. And how how different is that for you? I'm going through this period within my recovery where um, last night I was just sitting there and my girlfriend's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "I all of a sudden remembered this song." that I haven't listened to in 15 years. And it just popped in my head. You had, you're more long-term than me. Is that kind of like a normal thing that all of a sudden these, these things start flooding back? Oh my God. It happens in the car. It, yeah. it happens like while I'm in the shower, I'll like, it's like these like uh, memories like flood back in and then I, I'll get lost in them sometimes. Um, but yeah, I don't think that ever goes away. Little things trigger uh, memories and, and uh, sometimes I don't even know why they came up, but uh, yeah, it happens a lot. Sometimes it can be a good thing. And sometimes it's like, oh yeah, I remember that. Or that was weird or that was wild. Or, that was so fucked up. And then like, <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes it's like that shame storm of like, I, I mean, I get like, I'll be in the shower and I'll like, remember some weird thing I said in grade three to some chick named Jennifer. And I'm like, why did I say that? Then I like start grinding on that. Like it's, I don't know. I don't think that that ever sort of goes away. It's, it's sure. yeah. How do you manage that? I'm, I'm, I know for me, a lot of people like, dude, how do you sit in your feelings? Which is a thing when we hit sobriety, we have to start doing, we'll have moments of we have to sit with ourselves, which is, part of that escapism that we indulged in. I don't know loved, but indulged in. Yeah. I mean, I loved it at the beginning, I think. Sure. Um, and there were periods of love through it. I don't know. But um, I, I, I really believe that like feeling is a gift, right? And, and you can't feel the sadness without the joy. You can't feel the anger without the, like, like you, you have to feel all of it. Um, and, so when I, but when I got clean, like almost 10 years ago now, um, I, I would get these like uncomfortable moments of like, oh my God, I don't know what to do. I would have anxiety. I, sometimes I wouldn't go out. So like, but I, what I've realized over time is that is, is really like tools. So like there's one tool where, um, and, and it's awareness too, right? Because as you can't fix something that you're not aware of. So a lot of times I'd be reacting in life sober, really like to like, not normally. Mm. And, and it would be a response to my feelings that I didn't even know that I was feeling. So mm. it was important to know like, okay, so where does this feeling live in my body? Um, what, like naming the feeling, knowing where it lives, knowing what that feels like, and then really just breathing through it and getting through it. You can't feel, you can't avoid feelings, right? Like you can't get over it, under it, around it. In order to get through the feeling, you have to get through the feeling. And as I kept feeling the feelings, I would get more comfortable with the feeling. So even with anger, I would start feeling to be more, more comfortable. I mean, anger was always like a, a, a something that I would feel comfortable in. I think like the joy, the feeling of peace, the feeling of serenity, the feeling of like that got me rattled. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to feel that. 
Mm -hmm. And then I would create chaos. So it, so that I would feel that craziness because that's what I was so used to. But they say, they say, I don't know who they are. <laughs> right? They I've say heard. a lot of shit, don't they? They say a lot of shit. But they say that if you can feel a feeling for 90 seconds in your body, breathe through it, that you can get through it. Mm. So I just started fucking trying it and yeah. it, it started working. Um, there, there's a, a, a tool that I use. It's so lame, but I do it. And, and, and it's, uh, I put my, my finger to my thumb to each finger and each finger says like, peace begins with me. Peace begins with me. Peace begins with me. And I say it in my head over like a mantra and it kind of gets me through it. And it, it, it reminds myself to put myself back into me because it's really not about anybody else either. Um, because my feelings too, I didn't understand that I had a control over my feelings and my emotions because I do, mm -hmm. uh, once I have the awareness of them. And number two, that it's not about anybody else. It's about me. Right. And so it's like a sponsee who's going in through this breakup. Right. She's like, I feel devastated. She's dated the guy for three weeks. He got <laughs> relapsed. She's devastated. And I'm like, dude, this has nothing to do with him. This has to do with something, abandonment issue or something as a kid or something that you've gone through that's now triggered that now you're feeling that and it feels like it's about him, but it's not, it's yeah. about you. So that's where I had to really start learning that it's not about my ex-husband's <laughs> it's not about my crazy children. It's not about the boss or the, this or the, that it's about me. So how can I get through it in a way without using? And, um, and the point is that like, even if I'm avoid, if I'm avoiding feeling sober, I'm just going to end up back using anyways. So I've got to get comfortable with it. Absolutely. And I, you said a couple of different things that are, are really pertinent. Um, and I've really only heard uh, individuals with eating disorders usually say this, but naming that feeling, you know, like I know for some of them, uh, a lady I know, she named her eating disorder, Ed worked, you know, pretty simple to remember. What's the importance you found of naming those, those feelings in those moments and, and what that really does tool wise for us? Okay. So we all have this voice in our head, right? And very often I confused that voice as a feeling or as myself. So the thoughts in my head that tell me that I'm a piece of shit, that I've never been good enough, that everybody else is better than me. Why are you even trying this? Like all that stuff that I think human condition, we just have that. Um, I had to, it sounds like me. It's in my voice. It uses the same language as me. It has the same infliction in the voice all over the place like I do. Right. And so it's hard to uh, separate who, what's me and my soul and what's that voice in my head. So I had to name it. So I named that voice Regina from Mean Girls. <laughs> <laughs> Regina George, as we go. Yeah. My kids will hear me be like, oh, Regina, shut up. <laughs> and they're like oh my god my mom's talking to herself again she's crazy um but uh, it's important that was so important the other thing that i learned is i used to say like fuck off regina or whatever right like angry and then um it, it wasn't really working like i would just get more angry and then i think about me as a drunk girl and how belligerent i could get in my bon jovi shirt <laughs> and <I'm laughs> So I'd be at this party and like, I'm belligerent. And if somebody's like, Alexis, get out of here, blah, 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 like yelling, fuck, I'll get out, right? That with that energy, what would I do? Get more belligerent, right? Mm -hmm. So that voice in my head, I think about drunk Alexis, belligerent drunk Alexis, like what would calm me down? Like, oh, sit down. Like, it's okay. Sit down. Like, do you want some water? Do you want some bread? Do you want some, like some love, right? And so when I started hearing those voices in my head that are like, you're, you're a piece of shit. You're not good enough. You're this, all those Regina voices, instead of like pushing Regina in front of the bus, like in the movie, um, I started loving on Regina and being like, it's okay. Like I forgive that thought. I forgive you. Um, and switch the, the language and the, ver like the, the verbiage in my head to like, you are worthy, you are good enough and all that stuff. Because as I started becoming aware of the voice and then loving that voice, even though it was a negative voice or a negative emotion or a negative feeling, and then 
um, and then pivoting into something more positive, it starts creating new neural pathways in our brain so that instead of having that voice of Regina, that's like, da, 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 we have, I don't know, the Lindsay Lohan, but I don't know what the voice is. The voice <laughs> is like love, right? The voice right. of love instead of that voice of like all that trauma. Yeah. Well, and it's so important for people to understand that, you know, it's, I forget what the statistic is, you know, no one talks to us more than ourselves, you know, we're in our head and the the shitty part when we have those bad voices is it, it, it might've been like, maybe you and I, I'm not sure, you know, trauma, we, let's, hopefully we can get into that, but mine started out as, you know, this kid that was mean or dad or whatever it was. And then over time, their voice goes away and it just, it's ours. And we've just taken over that action. And it's like 90% of the shit we say to ourselves is negative. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough, you know, all this stuff. And it's kind of, people ask me the difference of what I think between successful people and unsuccessful people is they've done a better job of, of that switch and that mechanism in the head of putting in the work to say and have positive self-talk. We only, I mean, it, this is going to sound super cheese ball, whatever. I'm super cheese ball. Sometimes we only have people talk about time, right? We only have so much time here. And if you want to bring that down more, like we only have so many heartbeats here. So are we going to invest our heartbeats into the, and we don't know how, how many heartbeats we have. So are we going to invest those heartbeats into that negative reel in our head? Or are we going to invest those heartbeats into ourself and growing and positivity and like changing? And that's why in the, in like programs that are out there, they talk about like getting out of ourselves. They talk about being of service to others and purpose, right? That purpose that comes through service. And that's how I get out of my head. So like, I can say to myself, peace begins with me all I want. It, it, it can calm my nervous system. I can switch through affirmations and change my, uh, you, you know, with like CBD, CBT therapy and all that stuff. But like the simplest way for me to get out of myself and get out of those emotions and that negativity and that craziness is to just go fucking help someone. Hey, mm -hmm. how's it going? Go to a meeting, help someone like go be of service, whatever, like smile at someone as you're leaving the grocery store, ask someone their name when they're like in behind you and talk to them, like be nice to people. So that is really like the simplest way for me to get out of whatever I'm feeling. And it makes me feel, it, it reminds me of how insignificant I am in the world because I can think of myself as like so important. I was so important. <laughs> Holy shit, it's the most important thing in the world. And like the reality is, is like, it's not true. So when I can step out of my own shit and we all have shit and move into helping someone else through theirs, that's where the connection piece that cures addiction comes in for me. Absolutely. You bring up uh, trauma. I mean, <laughs> people always ask, number one, you know, the gateway. When we were kids, right, it was it was, but pot was a gateway drug. And it was a just say no program that worked so fucking yeah. well. Oh, <laughs> worked, yeah. Worked amazing for maybe some politicians that helped them continue to get elected. But um, yeah, hey, trauma background. What was some of that stuff that you had to work through? I still work through it. Are you kidding? Like sure. there's stuff like. Listen, I started using at 13 and I was addicted to meth at 16. So there was like, as I was growing up, there was, uh, I didn't have a childhood. I really like messed my brain up. Right. Like, and, uh, and I don't know if there's, it was ever like, like, I mean, everyone, I don't want to re-traumatize people, sure. but like there's, you know, I put myself in really unsafe situations a lot, um, especially using that drug and hanging out with the people in that. I mean, I was in treatment for my first time at 18. Mm. Um, the trauma was really self-inflicted for, for me. I didn't have any like real like my yeah, my dad was really angry a lot. He traveled. He wasn't home when he was home. He was drinking and telling everyone to shut the fuck up while he slept on the couch and watched golf like that stuff. Right. But. Um, like I was really privileged. I, I, I had a glitch that glitch was probably genetic. Um, you know, my dad's sister was a heroin addict at 13 and she's still alive on methadone crazy. Like she's like 70 and, it, you know, used heroin for most of her life and is still alive. So it's somewhere in my genetics, 
the trauma response and Gabor, Gabor Matei talks about this a lot is like, mm-hmm. you know, even him, like he, he talks about for him when he was over in, uh, in Hungary and growing up and during the war and like his mother's trauma was genetically, like it was passed through generations onto him. Right. And I really do believe that. So like my dad's trauma comes from him with his dad going through the second world war. When he came back from the second world war and all the stuff that he saw, we didn't talk about PTSD. We told them to man up, get to work, figure your shit out and take care of your family. Right. So now he's having PTSD and whatever has happening for him. He's taking it out on, on his, my grandmother and my dad, my dad sees that his sister's now addicted to heroin. Now that stuff is like all that fear and, and stuff is now brought generationally down. So I don't know if I ever had like these, I I mean, I had breakups, I had shitty boyfriends beat the shit out of me. I had that stuff, but like, really it's like bigger than that and so for me now it's like do I want to I have four kids from two failed marriages the first failed marriage was really shitty I was in addiction those kids went through a lot like him and I still don't get along it's really difficult where do I decide to break it my second husband and I are best friends we do there's and that's a choice because there's a lot of times I'm like, oh, right there. <laughs> yeah, right. You. Ah, go home. Um, but it's a choice for my kids to stop it and to make sure that they don't see it. And so it's a choice for me too. Like, where do I break it for myself so that I can break it going forward? So that that stuff that's probably come even before then, like he was born on a prairie in 1919, like that kind <laughs> of, you know, that shit that comes down if we don't deal with it, it's gonna, it just keeps snowballing. The Knockin' Doors Down book shares all the history and inspiration behind the Carlos Vieira Foundation and how it all started. All proceeds from the book benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation's Race to Be Drug-Free campaign. So what's that all about? Through the Race to Be Drug-Free campaign, Carlos Vieira Foundation raises awareness about drug abuse, donates to drug-free programs, and brings drug-free speakers into schools to educate youth. The Race to Be Drug-Free campaign's main program is the Gloves Not Drugs boxing program. This program is completely free for kids between the ages of 8 and 17 to learn discipline, strength, respect, camaraderie, and the art of boxing. The program was created to keep kids off the streets, out of gangs, and away from drugs. For more info and to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org. You nailed it, you know, and and I wouldn't under... I wouldn't downsell it, you know, obviously that how the environment was with your dad. That's that, that is traumatic, not having a connection. I didn't have a strong connection with my dad. We didn't really get close until, you know, my late mid late twenties, but that uncovering of that history of trauma, much like your files found on the male side, my dad's not just substance, but primarily a sex and love addiction that, that, that ran through. You know, and and I know that with that, within my home growing up and the early exposure to pornography and the way that sexuality was, it built so much insecurity. So it was like into adulthood, I wasn't going to talk to anyone unless there is, you know, drink a couple of the, uh, you know, liquid courage in my hand, you know, then once it's flowing, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, then the ego takes over because it's so sensitive and fragile. But generational trauma is so true. You can just look at our country in general in so many things and the way it is that we won't dive into that because we want to talk about <laughs> it. But anybody that goes, oh, that's bullshit. They need to get over it can fuck off because that's not how totally. Well, like in Canada, I'm from Canada, right? So I'm from Vancouver and up here, like we've just discovered massive mass graves of children from residential schools because the Catholic system came into Canada and decided that the indigenous culture wasn't good enough and that they needed to whitewash them. And then all these children were separated from their families, put into these residential schools up until 1993 or five or something like Jerry Maguire was on while there was still residential schools. like Tom Tom, I don't know Cooper Jr. is winning an Oscar and they're still taking kids away from their families and there's all these kids in mass graves that are buried like children three years old like insanity and and so that just like ran oh they just ran off and then the government tries to tell us like oh just get over it like there's a like 
oh, anyways, don't get like, yeah, don't, you're right. I shouldn't have gotten started. But <laughs> what I'm saying is that the same thing is like for, for me, if I take that on a micro scale and, and look at myself and gener- and that like going back and 23 and me or whatever it's called and looking at, at what my past is like, we can't fix right now unless we look at the past. And so many of us just want to put up blinders like, Oh, it never happened or, Oh, it didn't. Ha-. And it's the same with trauma, right? It's like, it's like my mom stayed in a relationship. She's still in the relationship, but she stayed in a relationship because of money. Right. I married and thought that I couldn't take care of myself. And I stayed in relationships way too long because I thought that I couldn't take care of myself and he needed to take care of me. So it's like, okay, well, look at, look at my behavior. Look at that behavior. It makes sense. It takes away the shame and the guilt and the, oh, you're such a shitty person for doing that because I understand where the patterns come from. But now it's my responsibility to stop it. And so when I got divorced for the second time and I was pregnant with my fourth kid and I decided I wasn't going to get into another relationship because I've been in a relationship ever since I dated Kenny in the trailer park when I was 17. (laughs) 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 I I just stopped and I've been single for ish for six years. And uh, I, I mean, and I and I take care of my kids on my own. And so now my kids can see like, oh, she didn't need a man to take care of her. She can take care of herself. And, and hopefully that that values instilled to them. And, and we all have a choice on what we want to do. And the thing is, is that we're not a victim. And if I can take myself out of the victim mode and blame other people and the, the blaming, cause that's my favorite game. Oh, yeah. um, it, it really helps me to regulate my emotions, to, understand my own responsibility for my own life and my own choices and things don't happen to me things happen as a result of my response to what's happening around me absolutely and i think so many people i don't know about in in canada but for sure here we we kind of love a victim mentality and oh we do too here okay yeah it's yeah, just yeah. it's just such a shitty place now there are realities where Parents fail you. Society fails you. So many other things, you know, that we won't even get into drug reform and harm reduction, or maybe we will, because I got a lot of shit to say about that Um, because the government ain't doing dick in reality. Um, But so many people, they just sit in that mentality and don't accept it. Like you're saying that it is so much about our response to how we handle situations and taking our part in those situations um you know so harm reduction let's talk about harm reduction for a second sure so harm reduction in canada you have a 16 year old kid say that that's me 16 years old addicted to opiates okay and i decide to go to uh i decide to go to rehab Mm. uh or detox they don't do opiate detox without without uh, drug replacement therapy. So you've got DRTs and you've got uh, a mandated two year to four year taper. So you've got this kid who say I've used opiates for three months mm-hmm. and I'm addicted because that happens. Right. And, uh, and I decide to go into now I've got to stand, stay on it for four fucking years. Mm-hmm. Why? Because, uh, because, the government is making money off of it because it's a safe solution. You've got, uh, and I'm not saying the drug that, that harm reduction is bad. Okay. Like there are definitely times where harm reduction is super important. My, like I said earlier, like my aunt is in her sex, she's like 68 or something. Like she lives a normal life because of, uh, DRTs straight up. Like she would probably go back to using, she was addicted since she was 13. The only way that she's living a, a normal life for the rest of her years. And I say normal, like loosely, um, is because of DRTs. So there's a time and a place. And most times like, yeah, if you want to do a quick taper, uh, so that you, but I remember for me, like on a couch on someone's bed, like, it's not that hard. You just, <laughs> you just do the funky chicken for three, for like a week or two. And like, you know, you're, it's not comfortable, but like to expect someone to stay on something for four years is insanity. And, uh, and so I was at this in Vancouver cause I'm very involved in the drug, uh, you know, reform and I'm, I'm very involved in policy and like, uh, and in the, you know, 
politics in Vancouver around drug addiction. And in Vancouver, we have the downtown east side, which is the, the craziest, uh, like they do documentaries. This is where Dr. Gabor Mate started and wrote his book right. on. There's like tons. It's crazy. And so, um, you know, we, I remember the mayor had this like open forum. Okay. And so anyone could go. I'm like, fuck yeah, I'm in. So I go and they've got mad, right? Mothers Against Drug Driving. They've got uh, legalization of drugs. They've got a group on uh, harm reduction. They've got a group on, uh, like, it's just like crazy. It's like everything except for abstinence. And so they had the minister of health there uh, for our province. The chief of the Vancouver police department gets up and start speaking and says, you know, all this is great. And they start bringing up Portugal and everything else, right? Uh, all this is great, but there's nothing for abstinence. Mm. Like where is the abstinence option? And so that's where I have been so uh, moved to speak on that because abstinence saved my family, abstinence saved my life, abstinence. I wouldn't have my kids without abstinence. Like I'm not saying like, I'm not anti, uh, I'm not anti DRTs or, or harm reduction, but there needs to be more focus on abstinence. That's all I I'm agree. saying. Well, and I think in some situations that, uh, uh, for drug replacement therapy is some people it, it prolongs, you know, we're also emotionally stunted addicts in whatever way it is. I don't care if it's sex and love addiction, if, if it's money or uh, gambling, all these things that they're real people get hooked to them. There's research on how it affects the brain and everything else. It just delays so much with life. If it's so prolonged like that, you know, and and like you're saying, your aunt, I mean, methadone, you know, as normal as can be, it's like, would you, you know, as it's a still like, are you there? Like waving my hand yeah. in front of her face. Like there's, there's, I mean, I'm sure there's brain damage. I know there's brain damage from that many years of using Jason, but like, you're never fully you. Yeah. It's like, did you see that movie with Michael Keaton or the, like the, 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 uh, it was on the Disney channel or whatever up here, at least what maybe it was Hulu down there. Um, it, oh my God. I forget what it's called, but it was with Michael Keaton and it's like a six series TV oh, yeah, show. Yeah, on. Yeah. 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 So yeah, dope you sick. watch, you don't sit. So watch that. Watch the very last episode. They talk, they bring the person to the AA meeting. The AA guy goes, you can't do DRTs. Like we can't, no, 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 no. It was so like, blah, 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 blah. and then, uh, and the music that the, the lighting is really dark. The, the, uh, the language is aggressive. Right. And then you get them going to the like method or the suboxone clinic. And it's like, there's trees. There's like, it's like bright. It's like this airy music of like, huh? like, it's like, crazy it, it, you know so it's, it's not it's like society too so you watch that you've got a mom who is got their kid that's addicted and they're watching dope sick because i love michael keaton and batman and beetlejuice and i'm gonna watch that and he's also an advocate for like his family has been very outspoken yeah. about has passed away from overdose and you're gonna go yeah that's the solution without any real research people need to do more research on what they're putting in their bodies right and so it's not just like, oh, this is a magic cure. We don't actually even know what long-term effects Suboxone has on someone. This is a super mm -hmm. new drug too. Yeah. No, and, and that's another reality that people don't think about. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, a buddy of mine up there, Guy Felicella. Um, mm -hmm. And he brought up a really great point because when questioned about, you know, harm reduction and that, that thing, you know, there's, there's also the reality of, okay, so if a clinic's open from uh, nine to five, I don't know about you. When, <laughs> I, when I drank, I, I wasn't a morning person. It was a, it was okay. Get through my day. Cause my, my treat quote unquote, for those that are listening, not watching was all right. I, I'm going to have a couple of beers, which a couple was, you know, 18 to 30, you know? So it's, it's like, <laughs> 
It's like, so you, you take the heroin addict, okay? Yeah. He's normally not a nine to five guy. <laughs> it's a, no, or, you wake up person. at 3 p.m. You're like, oh, it's morning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so then, then what happens, okay, if these things aren't 24 hours or whatever it is while we're trying to, hopefully the, the intent is to wean, not four fucking years. It's to yeah. wean in a controlled setting. But then they're right back out there again at the street. If they can't get there in time, oh, it's closed. Oh, no, because you wake up dope sick. Yeah. And then what the fuck? It's like it, when you're in that space of dope sick, I don't know if anyone's ever felt that, but it is like, I need something now. You, It's desperation. Mm -hmm. And so you have, this is what's messed up in Vancouver, okay? You have uh, uh, Insight, which is a um, safe injection site. Your safe injection site's open 24 hours, but your pharmacy to get your Suboxone is nine to five. Oh. What is that? What is that? And I don't know, like, yeah, okay, I guess some people go use safe injection sites, but I'm not using a safe injection site. Like if I'm using, I am using alone and yeah. in, you know, like, or with other people that are using at the same level as me. Right. But very often they annoy me and they want my dope. So I'm just using alone anyways. Right. Um, that brings up like that app that I, that I, that Giuseppe and I created. So there's, um, th that app's great, whatever. There's a lot of recovery stuff on there, but the one thing that I'm super proud of is the, because we have a overdose crisis, right. And very often you don't want to share locations with people or whatever you use with people. There's one part of that app that is called the safety net. And what you can do is set up so that if you're going to use, because people relapse and most people that relapse, um, it, it if they relapse and start using the way they used before they got clean, we'll die. Right. Yeah. Like that's just your body has changed. You don't have the same. Um, so if they, uh, if they are using, they can set someone else up. So I'm say I relapse and I'm like, Hey Jason, I'm going to use, uh, there's a timer. And so I put this timer on if, if I share my location with Jason or maybe Jason and I live in the same house or me and it's, you know, mom and dad or like roommates or maybe you're in an SRO and somebody lives down three parts down from, from you, someone that, you know, they can have a naloxone kit. And if you don't press that alarm off, they get a text message and then they can go administer naloxone or they know where your location is and they can send uh, like ambulances there. A lot of ambulances and we we're finding this even in Canada and especially the States, but in Canada, the, the unions don't want the responsibility of setting that up. It's just too much work for them because we don't want to save all those addicts because they're just, you know, right. So uh, a, a drain on our resources. So a lot of these unions won't set up for that. So we do it like addict to addict or um, like addict to recovering addict or volunteer or whatever. You can pick anyone you want. 5150 is a lifestyle. We believe in pushing yourself, finding your passion, knowing your dreams and working hard, and always striving to make those dreams your reality. We believe life is too short to sit back and say, what if? Go after it, grab it, and make it happen. Being 5150 is committing to that long, hard road. That road you know is going to be tough, but the most rewarding. That's living the madness. That's 5150. If you're living the 5150 lifestyle, then celebrate by rocking the goods. So listen up. There's a special deal for listeners of Knocking Doors Down. Go to 5150ltm.com and enter code KDD20 and receive 20% off your purchase. That's 51FIFTYLTM.com. What is the app if people want to check it out? Yeah, if you go to better app, B-E-T-T-E-R-A-P-P.ca, um, the app is really a recovery community app. It's got like a Facebook sort of function in it where you can like do stories and timeline and blah, blah, blah. That's cool. Um, I'm not super into that part of it. Um, but what I really love is that you, there's a meeting finder globally in it. Um, there is, you can set up your location so that you can uh, connect with addicts in your area. So if you're traveling, like I was just in Mexico, I can set my location on and then know like if there's other addicts in the area that I can be like, Hey, like, like DM and figure out like where meetings are or whatever, what ones are good, what ones are bad, blah, blah, blah. Uh, not good or bad, but like by preference, sure. um, you can live stream meetings. You can do recovery rooms. There's 15,000 speaker tapes for GA, SA, 
uh, Al-Anon, Adult Children of Alcoholics, Naranon, uh, Narcotics Anonymous, AA, like tons and tons and tons. There's meditations. You can press uh, higher power. It'll just bring a random one up. Um, anytime that you record in the recovery room, it will automatically save into the speaker tape, which is cool. Mm. Um, so if you want to like have a speaker tape to submit to um, a convention or something, you can do it that way. Uh, there is the steps. So you can do a set of steps in there and you can link your sponsors. So your sponsor can see it. Uh, there's the Russell brand steps. There's the AA steps, uh, tons of different steps in there. Uh, there's also a, a 12 step exercise that you can do if you're going through something and you just need to get through the solution really quickly. Um, oh my gosh, there's just so many things in it. Um, the connection is the, is the, what do you call it? Antidote to addiction um and so this piece really is like recovering your pocket and if you find yourself in an air at a time where maybe you don't even want to talk to someone that you know because do you know what i mean like sure it's like oh i i don't want to tell my sponsor that thing or i don't want to tell someone i know that thing that maybe i shoplift it i don't know what i did but like i have i don't want to talk about it right because i don't want everyone else in the community knowing what's going on um i can reach out to some other addict online and, and talk about it and get to the solution quickly. Well, and it's important. And you nailed it right there. Cause people often think um, if you're not an addict or you're new to recovery, that the opposite of addiction is sobriety. It's not, it's connectivity. And, yeah. you know, we, we've been longing for that. We are just as humans that, that shared energy. And <laughs> You know, I know I was probably pretty similar to you in the drinking thing. I'm going to put a flood of energy out and take a bunch back. However it comes and you know, totally. it's, it's just the shittiest way to be as opposed to, like you said, hi, how are you doing today? Just giving someone that hole in the door or something that's just so simple as well as, you know, Hey, getting to a meeting, it's easy if that's the route you take. Getting involved, it's easy, but you get at it. Got to take the steps. Just fucking do it. Just fucking do it. <laughs> fucking do it. That's a, the thing of the day. Uh, so you shared you went on a work trip to Mexico. How yeah. do you? Um, what are your kind of tools for those things? Because you know we go oh. to those work environments. I've had a few situations where you know work people drinking, you know, or whatever it is. Yeah. How do you, how do you manage it? What's your navigation tools? Well, I'm super loud about my recovery, right? And I think recovery now has such a, it, it is destigmatized a bit, right? Mm-hmm. Where people understand it more um, because of, you know, media and things. Um, and, and really like recovery, uh, addiction touches everybody, right? Like somebody knows somebody who knows somebody who's been touched by addiction. It's like COVID. Everyone knows somebody who got it, right? So um, I'm, I, I don't believe, like th- there's that anonymity, Right. Where people are like, oh, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want other people knowing. Um, I very Macklemore talked about that in a speech. He was talking about like why he talks so loudly about uh, his addiction, recovery from addiction and his process. It's important. Right. Because if if we keep it closeted, then um, if we keep a secret, like I, I can't keep secrets. I live my <laughs> life very out loud. I, yeah. If I keep secrets, I do shady, do more shady shit. It's like, oh, I got away with that. I don't want to be in a situation where there's booze going around and people don't know that I'm an alcoholic or an addict. Right. There's right. still those times where people are like, well, you got almost 10 years. Like why do you still go to those things or why don't you, you know, my answer usually to that is I haven't repaid the debt that that program has given to me. Um, and I will never, and number two, it's like, you do not want to see me <laughs> drunk. Like, and then I'll start telling stories and my, like, I'm not traumatized by that. I think they're super normal. And then all of a sudden the table gets like really quiet or you just tell people like, if I drink, I'm going to do heroin. And then they're just like, like shocked and they're just like, okay, never mind. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I also think that connecting into meetings is really important. So like Zoom, we have meetings, we can hook into a meeting anywhere, anytime. So making sure that you're connecting that way, talking to people before you go and, and while you're there, connecting back into recovery community is really important. And, um, and, and ultimately at the end of the day, like the responsibility comes to me, right? So if I feel like using, I have learned over time or drinking that there is always an escape plan. There's always an out. 
there's always no in any situation, whether it's a relationship, whether it's in, on a trip to Mexico, whether it's like, it doesn't matter what it is. And so if I know what my escape plan is and that I can get out of anything, um, then I feel safer. It's funny. Who was it? Uh, Sonny Mayo, this guy, guy that was on a uh, guitar player from different hard rock bands over the years, Seven Dust, mm-hmm. it's not just to name a few. And when he was on, he brought up something really good about that perception of hardcore, like, oh, it's hardcore to, to get shit housed or whatever. We're going to rage and go after it. Like, no, you were in Mexico and then you were up at like 5 a.m. to go yeah. and, and see and enjoy. Like, that's hardcore. That shit is tough. Dude, I, I, I ziplined through fire. Like, I, <laughs> I awesome. was like ziplining down into water, like into some, these like crazy deep cenotes. I was kayaking. I was like in nature and like, and experiencing it. And all these other people were like at this, I don't know, they called it a speakeasy, which I thought was super lame, but whatever they called, they read the speakeasy, like getting trashed <laughs> till, or like on their booze boats till like 3am. And, you know, just hung over and miserable by the pool the rest of the time getting burnt. And I'm like, man, like I'm all for like getting a tan, but I want to be doing stuff. Like I, didn't get sober or clean to just sit around and do nothing. Like I want to experience every single thing that life has to offer because I really did. Like there was a long time that I just like lived in a basement suite with um, tea towels shoved into like vents and like under my doors and like my blinds closed because I thought people were coming to get me. Like I lived in a, in a four block radius, right. For like a very long time, unless I was going to go see my kids who I never saw. And so I missed out on a lot of life. I don't ever want to miss out on that. And so my hardcore is like climbing to fucking mountains. I live in North Van, which is like mountain city. I, I, I go like going up to the top of a summit. You cannot tell me that there's nothing better than that. And just looking out and connecting to God and, or source or higher power or all or call it whatever the fuck you want to call it. And, uh, something bigger than me, that rush there's nothing better than that. I agree. I did. It was, uh, it'll be two summers ago, this coming summer, me and my brother top of castle crag, which is uh, Mount Shasta. So that's Northern California, right up at the top of that. Some yeah. bitch. And my yeah. brother, he's just badass. Um, but he's like, yeah, fucker, you're going to make this let's go. And there's times yeah. I want to quit when you got up there, it's like all pain goes away. And when you're able to look out and you realize really how, insignificant and yet significant you are at the same time. And if you can't find a higher power in a moment like that, I I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) I really don't. Yeah. It's wild. Like walk going up to the top where where we were about to, I'm scared of heights. Like I'm so scared of heights and I'm like up there and I'm like clipped in and the dude is up there and he's like, I'm like, like, okay. And he's like, he's like, do you want to not go? I was like, no, no, but you're going to need to push me. And he's like, okay. <laughs> I got and he's getting up there, but I'm looking out and like at the first moment where I'm pushed off that first zip line. Right. And it's like, oh my God. And I close my eyes and then I just calm and open my eyes and see where I'm at. And like the beauty and magnitude that's around me like the point is is that if you can go up there and you can look at the the amazingness and you did say significance and that's so important because the same thing that made the sunsets and the beach and the ocean and the trees and everything else made me and so if that magnitude made everything else made me then there is a purpose and a reason that i'm here and i better live up to it absolutely uh, Alexis, you're badass, man. I join uh, this. Uh, hey, let's uh, let's have some fun. How about some random questions? We both uh, ha- have an affinity for some rock music. You got your Bon Jovi shirt on. I was rocking <laughs> out the Motley Crue just before we got on here. But uh, yeah. all right, so uh, top three bands of all time. Oh my God, Hole number one. Like I remember, I brought a Courtney Love uh, uh, biography to my very first treatment center when I was 17. I wanted a <laughs> beer. Um, I love Wool, lived through this, uh, and Nirvana, obviously. And then, yeah, Bon Jovi. Yeah. 
How did I you? I don't get- know. But Springsteen. Like, are we talking bands? Are we talking like anything? anything. Bruce Springsteen is my number one. Like, really? I have his lyrics tattooed on me uh, from Human Touch. In the end, what you don't surrender, the world strips away. Um, and, uh, I wanted to get it in his own handwriting, but the tattoo artist was like, no, it's going to look like a jail tattoo. So we're going to do it in a different font. <laughs> uh, how'd you get hooked on Springsteen? My mom was a huge Springsteen fan. My dad was a huge Springsteen fan. We went on tons of road trips as a kid. And I remember all we would listen to is born in the USA over and over and over and over again. And then as I got older and Mellencamp, it was like Mellencamp and and Springsteen. And then as I got older, I really dove into his like earlier work. And sure. um, I remember the first time I heard Thunder Road and I was just like, oh, my God. Like and I would listen to it over and over and over again. And then Melissa Etheridge's like version of it. And I'm like, I just sure. eh. and then uh, I just really loved that he was like this Jersey boy, blue collar kid. And that that like broke free and like really has like done a lot politically and um i just really dig who he is yeah yeah that's funny you mentioned i was about ready to go send a road and you said i'm like oh we're same wavelength here same wavelength yeah 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 so i always uh like to ask this question because i think everyone that's uh um gone through recovery we've definitely not lived a flat life at all so uh you know any book movie or tv show is definitely live uh, written about a person that has not lived a flat life who would you want to play you in, in a biography movie meryl street <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you... i'm not done yet i want to be like i want like now meryl streep i want like my biopic to be like when i'm old because i am not done i have so much more shit to do and she's she is badass yeah I would agree with you on that one. Uh, if you uh, stranded on a deserted island, uh, you can take one album, one music album, and one movie. What is it? Or what Requiem for a Dream. <laughs> oh. I, yeah, Requiem for a Dream is like, I'm a huge Jennifer Collins. I love that movie. And I know that's probably like dark and weird, but like, I like to like reflect. And then, um, Al- one album. Oh my God. Yeah, probably lived through this whole. All right. Good, yeah. good choice. Good Dull choice. <laughs> no, that's good stuff. Uh, if you could have dinner with any one person, living or not, who would they be? Oh my God. This is going to sound so lame. No. Ozzy Osbourne. Hey, that's I- a great one. I want to know all the things. I feel like he was there for everything and he's super hilarious. He made one. I remember when he made that, like that show was out and he was like, uh, he's like, you know, I can't do his accent. So I'm not even going to try. But I was like, he's like, no, I was really depressed. So I started taking antidepressants and then I couldn't fuck. So I was more (laughs) depressed. (laughs) Yes. We had talked to uh, Kelly Osborne, um, Gosh, it was about oh, a year ago. Great. She is yeah. so awesome, but she it's shared insight that like her dad is just like people don't see like a really great matter of fact person. Like she's like, yeah. whenever I was struggling, I would go to my dad because he would be so matter of fact about things. And yeah. I think that the TV show and you know how you put out celebrities put out what yeah, they want to yeah. put out that they miss out about the guy because he's just a brilliant individual. So they he the the the, the what he's if you can t- if you can get through and understand what he's saying that man is brilliant brilliant yeah, yeah. and talk about living through a lot of stuff. She had brought up because yeah. uh, I'm a huge Motorhead fan too, and she brought up how. Yeah uh lemmy and her dad used to sit and talk about like playing as kids at bomb sites because that's the childhood they grew up in you know post world war ii and everything else okay talk about generational trauma you may not know more but fucking that shit you don't think it affects you that you know oh jimmy over there yeah his dad's not here because the bomb went off right next to him you know or whatever it's like (laughs) crazy and think about what's happening now over in like over there and like all the Mm -hmm. things yeah yeah crazy Oh, we could go on and on about yeah, that yeah. one forever. Maybe that's a conversation off the That's podcast. like an off-air conversation, I yeah. feel like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Alexis, um, f- 
people want to connect with you, find out more about the app, the awesome work you're doing, how can they do that? Yeah, you can uh, go to betterapp.ca with for the app. You can go there on uh, Instagram, TikTok, all those things. Uh, you can find me Alexis Nicole official because someone else took Alexis Nicole, so I'm the official one. Um, <laughs> so Alexis Nicole official on Instagram and on TikTok, and yeah. Well, click the links in the podcast description if you want to connect with Alexis or find out more about the app as well. Uh, words of encouragement. We always leave uh, the guests with the last words. <sighs> yeah, that you were put here for a purpose and that um, it doesn't matter what happens in your life, right? That like there is something bigger than us. And if we can connect into that and then understand that like we are so fucking powerful, we are so powerful. I didn't understand that. I had gone through my entire life using and then my first like three years, four years were like with a married uh, addict who was using and then just I didn't understand why I was here. And when I could connect into something bigger than me and understand that I had a purpose and that I, it doesn't matter what I do. It's like, it's like, here's the thing. I, I have a choice. I have a choice in my life in every single situation that I'm in. And so whether I, and our energy directly affects the entire earth. So whether I am ordering coffee and I'm in a bad mood, that energy is going to affect the other person who's going to affect the other person who's going to affect the other person who's going to affect the other person. Right. And it's like a ripple effect. So I have a choice on if I want to pollute the earth with a ripple effect, or if I want to lift the earth up with a, with a ripple effect. And, and that can be as simple as just ordering coffee with a smile. And, uh, and so my purpose in life isn't this great big, like I'm going to become a movie star and change the world. My purpose in life is to start a chain reaction into positivity. And so if it starts with just that one smile, and the thing is, is like, it's not about perfection. It's about the comeback rate. So if I'm able to notice it, that my energy has shifted into the negative, it's like, it's not about beating ourselves up. It's like, yes, that's okay. I, I forgive that that happened and then pivot. And so every time, like I might not switch into, you know how we have the bad days. It's like, I have a bad moment. I don't have a bad day. I can change that at any time. So my purpose in life isn't this grandiose thing anymore. It's like this little small thing where it's like, I just want to be a good person. So I hope that anyone that's, uh, that's going through something right now, just know that like nothing is, is forever. Our emotions don't stay stagnant. They are forever changing. And so if you're going through something that's shitty, it's going to get better. If you're going through something amazing, it's probably going to get shitty. But the <laughs> thing is, is that we have a choice on how we respond to it. 